Hello, my name is Joel Murphy, and this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production focused on the why of business, media, and marketing. It's made by my team at Neural, a digital agency for challenger brands and talent. To learn more, just visit neural.com. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com. My guest this week, Joel Murphy, director and co-founder of ACAP. Joel, we've known each other for a while now, um, probably since we met via the Go Markets days. What's it like working with Ricardo? He won Monza the other weekend. I know that sponsorship was a while ago, but um, how, how long ago was that actually? Uh, it wasn't too long ago. I think it was about three and a bit years ago. A time um, where you could shake hands at least. Yeah, it was good. He, he was a pretty good bloke. Um, I still bumped into him a few times at some other GPs I went to. Um, I stayed up, watched the whole thing. I still support him regardless of um, how it went. But for us, it was a learning curve in sponsorship. We didn't really know what we were doing. I just thought, oh, God, well, he's, he'd be a perfect person. I'd, I'd seen what he'd done with carsales.com. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I literally Googled his, like I typed in Daniel Ricardo manager, emailed his manager, he called me back. We had a chat, we went back and forth and we got a deal done in like two weeks. No intermediaries involved, no, you know, like uh, wanky lunches or anything. It was just all done over text message and phone. And then we did a shoot with him. And the thing that impressed me about Daniel was that he didn't, and maybe that's because he's, you know, in his early 30s and a lot of the drivers are in their early 20s. He didn't look at his phone once while we were shooting. So we did about a six hour shoot um you know his phone was in a bag he was natural we you know had a good chat about you know what we're doing what he's doing um everything in in between uh in his own city in perth um you know had lunch had a beer and yeah like he's just exactly how you uh, how you see him we probably yeah. didn't get the most out of the sponsorship because we just weren't we probably weren't mature enough of a business because we didn't realize how much work you do you have to have a sponsorship like you yeah you need an extra 10 staff just looking after that sponsorship um, but, you know, we were happy just to try things differently because we launched a company into a very competitive market. So we're always trying to think of what's something different that's being done in our space. Um, and then I think literally every CFD broker in Australia now sponsors something. So yeah. well, it, definitely, it definitely kicked off uh, or started a bit of a trend in this side of the world. It was three years ago. I was just thinking because... Coinjar did the Melbourne thing. We also sponsored Brentford in um, uh, the EPL over in the UK. You're definitely right. Like the, there's so much work that goes into those sponsorships. So much work. Like from little things like how your branding looks on LED signage at home games to how branding looks in booklet to you know this event and that event. It's there's a lot involved with it. I'm curious with um, Ricardo's manager. Is he an Aussie guy, but he's based in Monaco. Uh, that's his. So that was his old manager. Um, okay, who was British. Uh, who they had a bit of an acrimonious split. All uh, right. Just after he signed the, uh, he only just signed his contract when he was at Renault, which uh-huh. is now Alpine. Um, and so he has a like almost like a manager that goes day to day with him and just sort of like helps him with his life and and he in his contracts and then he's got his agents. Uh, who are Australian-based, 
um, who will then hunt out deals. Like I think of it, he's doing Optus now and Afterpay. So they're the ones that will hunt around and, and try and get him um, local gigs and speaking and, and that sort of stuff. So we dealt with those guys. I, I met up with that agent, um, the British chap, um, at the shoot. Um, he was fine, but and I didn't notice anything. But like a couple <laughs> of months later, they were slinging mud at each other. So um, I think that was all settled uh, out of the courts. But um, That's yeah. so funny. It's a funny game and, and probably what you've noticed uh, with CoinJar, it's it's super unprofessional um, mm. what sponsorship. Like yeah. they they just they're just people selling stuff all the time, but they don't really deliver anything. It's mm. like they promise the world to you and well, you can do this and you can do this and you can do this, and then you sign the contract and they're like, all right, see you later. Yeah. It's all there, it's that that's the that's agenting 101, right? Like it's just we sell you this dream. You've got your brand on. Like people think it's this amazing thing when you have your brand on a sports team because it's sort of like a childhood. For a lot of men, it's a it's like a childhood dream in a way. But you get it, and it's like, oh, okay, it's just like a it's just an ordinary transaction. They do plenty of these. Yeah, um, one of many. Yeah, and what's funny is when you sign them, how many come out of the woodwork to pitch you? <laughs> like for six months, I've had agents in the UK, Europe, Australia for everything like, you know, basketball here, cricket, NRL, absolutely everything. They, they think we're just made of, you, you're just made of money. Like you do one sponsorship and you're going to sponsor every single type of sport. You know what I mean? Welcome to my inbox. <laughs> uh, uh, the amount of... I actually like if I if I had like what I want to do like I'm hopefully next year I'll actually step down um, from a position at ACAP would be would be the target because that would be about eight years that I've done um, in the role with how we started in RGM and then got through to ACAP but I really want to do a couple of months where I just take up all the offers that I've been hi this is so and so general manager of the New York Jets want to invite you to my corporate box like I've had so many of those and I was like, <laughs> my mates we should do like three months where I just say yes to every email I've got and I get the tour and we go to a game and we meet the players then just go, oh, look, we'll think about it and and at least do that sort of world tour. So I haven't exploited the situation yet and I'm sure a lot of people do. So that's what I'd recommend. Just be nice, always reply. You know, we got a great one actually from AC Milan. They're probably the only pitch I've got that I was like, I really want to sign this contract because it was so well done. Mm. We didn't go ahead, but the others are just a normal crappy sales pitch. Like, come to a game, we'll sign you something. You know, it's very generic, but they actually put a lot of effort into it. Um, But, yeah, I'd love to take advantage of it um, at some stage. Post-COVID now, yeah, probably looking at 2023, go on the uh, world tour. So we can go together if you want. Yeah, uh, let's do that. Just hit hit everyone up for the tickets and and see every sport and every event that you can. What's... um... What's your earliest like inception memory as a kid? What's your first memory? Oh, first memory. I think I go back to kinder. I think mm-hmm. when I was in kinder, uh, and I'm still sort of not close mates with him, but um, we uh, we catch up occasionally still. Uh, and I won't name him on here, um, but he cut my hair with scissors a kinder like and cut like a ball patch into the back of my head but i remember getting in a lot of trouble for that so i must have been about three ish okay. i just remember the feeling of getting my hair cut then and then just trouble afterwards so 
that's probably he's like an IP lawyer now, like very successful. <laughs> you know, he was uh, the first one to the scissors at uh, at Tinder. That's so funny. Did you get uh, when you say you got in trouble? Was that from a parent or from whoever the teacher was at Kinder? I just remember the commotion afterwards, like you know, like just you know that, that sort of what's going on, and then just that like flash of a memory. Yeah, that's so funny. You know, yeah, it's, it's almost like a dream. Those memories you don't know if they're real or not. You can capture like a tiny bit when when you think about it or or you go back and, and my uh oldest daughter who's four she actually went goes to the same kinder is finishing up at the same kinder that <laughs> i went to so when i went in there i was like oh geez uh yeah this looks yeah <laughs> this looks very funny yeah it's so funny and you repeat those stories back to your parents as well and they're like that's not what happened <laughs> and they're like no i, I i'm absolutely certain this is what happened like i care more than you because this is like a monumental moment in my life and they're like no this is not how it went like my inception memory is because you do like shapes in play-doh at kindergarten it was there was like little off cuts of wood and my parents had gotten some cement on the side of the house like done and i went and used those off cuts like I thought I was doing Play-Doh and just making shapes in the cement. And I remember just getting the belting of my life. Like, Surely, that, <laughs> surely they were still there, though. It's not like if, the, if it's drying concrete, it's very difficult to get that stuff out. You can't sand it back. Uh, no, that yeah, the shapes were there and they had to get them in to fix it up. <laughs> they had to pay. <laughs> there would be, be proper money involved with redoing yeah. So yeah, my dad's a builder, so that's sort of, or oh, he's a retired builder now, but uh, yeah, it's always expensive to fix those things. So speaking of dad and, and parents, um, was there any lessons you picked up indirectly or directly from your parents growing up? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, everyone tells me that I did. Uh, I look a lot like my dad, especially now when I haven't had a haircut in three months. Um, I probably look identical to him. Um probably have just as many grey hairs as he's got as well at the moment. Um, yeah, he was basically working for himself since he was 15. So left school very early, um, as you might have done back then. He left school at 14, um, apprentice carpenter, um, and then he's just, um, you know, gambled his, his whole life, not gambled, but like calculated risk in um, building a, you know, construction company. He would have built... 100 houses, you know, 100 apartments. You know, every time I drive around Melbourne, I can see what he's done. Um, and he's, when I was at home, I'd, I'd never, I always, it's a strange thing, my, they're my parents, but I call them Annette and Brian. I never called them mum and dad because it'd be, the phone would ring and, you know, I was supposed to answer the phone, you know, Brian Murphy Builders, Joel speaking, you know. So it was always like, oh, is Brian there? Is, is Annette there? So you're that quasi um, receptionist, but I was terrible at it. So I'd never leave messages. I'd never write it. If they weren't there, I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> <You need laughs> paper there um, that I'd forget. So, yeah, growing up in a, a small, medium-sized business family probably had influences on me that I didn't know about. And and my brother's, uh, my brother Luke runs a equipment hire business that he started in the last few years. Um, my brother Patrick's working on a couple of startup projects and my brother Ben's gone into that property development um, in sort of role. So I, I think it's like um, nature or nurture. Um, you just, you don't realise the effect. And there's one of my mates um, that I'm quite close with still, we, we, we sort of look at each other in the inverse. So uh, my dad was a builder and he pushed me away from construction. Like, so he didn't want uh, to yeah. work in that field. He was like, 
everyone's got to go to university, do your commerce degree, go do business. So basically all of us did the same thing. We all did our commerce degree and we all sort of went that way. Whereas uh, my mate Dan, his dad was a partner at KPMG, uh, really senior. He's a builder. <laughs> He's like, no, don't, 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 don't do this work. Yeah. This is, you know, mind numbing, you know, it's politics, you know, do something you love. So, you know, you, you do something and you you look at the, the downside of it a lot of the time and you, you always have that grass is greener um, mentality. So um, it's just what you do is, you know, what you end up doing is ideally what you're good at and, and hopefully that you enjoy. Yeah, that's so funny, like that generation of parents and how they they did that. I feel like our generation has a good grasp around personality and how certain jobs suit that personality like some people like my dad was the same he was a printer and he was like you, you know absolutely don't do this you've got to go study like be an accountant lawyer doctor something like that and it's so funny to this day he's like oh you know we've got this business it does really well and none of my kids are going to work in it and i'm like are you for real your like, dad's a cypriot migrant isn't he yeah yeah, yeah. So that's that yeah that Create something, want to continue the legacy. You know, yeah, what a name. You know, my, same with my my dad secretly wanted to have Murphy and Sons, you know, up on yeah. up on the wall somewhere, but very happy to to push us away. So yeah, you you get people. Uh, it's hard um, with your own experiences. It's always really hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's like the best skill set that I think anyone can have is that you can. Um, rationalise and sympathise what someone's doing in the other seat. Mm. Um, often you just, you know, you get ingrained in your ways of thinking and, yes, they might have worked for you and you just get that tunnel vision. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably the thing that I've sort of been developing now later is to, like, not have that really... Um, there's a... One of my dad's friends said to me that I went, that I look through my life like this. Yeah. And I'm not seeing the rest of it. And I'm, you know, like this was a couple of years ago. And he's like, you just, your whole life is the business. You think this is the only business you're going to be a part of, that your life depends on it. You, you actually got to have a broader look at what's going on because in five years' time, you look back and that'll be not even a, you know, like a, like a memory or that'll be something that you did when you were, you know, 28, 29, 30, and then you'll move on to something else. So you, you do get caught up in, such a, you know, like a, a syndrical view of, of what you're doing and, and what you're going to be and what you're going to do. So I think it's helpful, but you want to speak to as many people as possible, not just your dad. Yeah. And particularly when you're running a business that can become like that as well. Like you're very, you get very wrapped up in your world because it's like, it feels do or die in a lot of cases. It does. And I'm sure like, you know, like I, I can see, you know, just from some of your LinkedIn posts, the stresses of having <laughs> come on and cancel and yeah. you know, like you, 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 things that weigh on you that shouldn't like you. Yeah. It shouldn't be a big deal, but it yeah. is, but it is. And you don't, it's like, I'm sure if you missed a week of the podcast, your fans are going to come back the next week because the, t- the content's good. But in yeah. your own head, you're like, oh, sh- if I miss a week, uh, you know, like, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's yeah. gone. My audience is gone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's so, yeah, I've started to slowly get over that, but there are little things that like really, really weigh on you. Like one big thing that we've learned recently is because um, we're a smaller, more specialized agency, you know, we've had staff leave or get poached from big agencies, like some of the big six that operate in this space. And I go, 
fuck, are we going to become just like the the feeding ground for the big dogs? And like that, then you have like sort of this, not anxiety, but you just start to think like, shit, are we, am I what I thought I was going, I didn't want to be, if that makes sense. And I know that like when you look at it in years to come, it's like, you know, you have to, you have to earn the right to get to those certain places, you know, like you're going to have people leave. It's just that initial disappointment of someone leaving. And I'm sure, you, you know, you've got probably like 80 staff or something like that, potentially more. Um, that initial disappointment like really cuts deep, but after like the 20th one, you're like, okay. No, it still cuts deep. Um, Does it? Actually got about nearly 170 now. So it's yeah getting out of control, our staff numbers. Um, By the way, just on that, it's hard to work that out with so many businesses, particularly in the finance space, because you'll look at LinkedIn and it says 117 staff or whatever. And you're like, okay, so there's probably like... 20% that haven't put their thing in, but there's also like a bunch of people who think that putting in trader at XYZ financial firm is like <laughs> a career thing. That's got to be one of the work. Cause we've had people put in like neural into their like work thing. And I'm like, you know, yeah. you've never worked here, man. Like what, what's going on with this? Anyway. It still hurts. Though. It still hurts at every level. Like you, like yes, you get natural attrition, and 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 we've got that, which is fine because you're you're happy when some people leave, and you know you give them a big hug, and it's you know you were about to put them on performance review, and it's like you know that was a bullet dodged. Yeah. Um, but when you put time into people, it's like you know it's really frustrating. So I think we're in that lucky phase in the business. We've we've done probably a bit more of the hard slog that you've still got to go. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Uh, we're we're just in that sort of phase where we can actually work on a few cooler projects. So what we've done is we've sort of spun some of the projects off into new businesses, and then we've give, we've given staff equity in those businesses that have come up with the ideas. So you know they can see that if we get some of these projects to a certain point, that there, there is that potential large payoff. So and then once you, you change from an employee to an owner, then we know that when they go home. You know, they're thinking, what, what what can I do next? What's the so we change the mentality of those sort of senior employees. So we've probably got a dozen of our senior staff that have equity across different projects that we're running, uh, and we think that's going to drive those businesses because you know we've only got so much energy. You know, like this, you've got a finite amount of time that you can burn through. You can't work, you know, six days a week, you know, forever. Um, you do run out of petrol and, you know, even if you think you're still doing the hours, you're not doing them effectively. You're mm-hmm. making mistakes, you're alienating staff, which I've definitely done on multiple occasions. I've definitely alienated a lot of people um, along the way. So you, you've just got to actually find that balance. And, and I think for us across the last two years, we've, you know, recruited uh, people that we know really well from the industry, from out of the industry. And it's now, you know, it, Probably 24 months ago, I still go to bed each night, like, you know, quietly shitting myself. Um, but where now, you know, like I could, you know, quite comfortably, probably for the first time, you know, really comfortably go away for a holiday for two weeks and just completely switch off. Wow. But that's taken nearly eight years. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, yeah, like the start when we started, like we just had this running joke. Every time we went on holidays, something would, would fuck up. And it was like my first three holidays that I took, um, you know, up to Queensland, up to Noosa with the kids, like I'd just literally sit on my laptop 
you know, watch them down at the beach from the apartment and <laughs> and then, you know, I'd get down to the beach at six o'clock at night for, you know, half an hour and yeah. or something. So you but you the roller coaster of of doing uh, you know, being an owner operator, you know, I hate the word entrepreneur more than anything in the world. It's up mm. there with synergy for me. <laughs> yeah, synergy. Words that are used, you know, buzzwords that are just they're taking a life of their own. Like you know, if, if you're a business owner or a business owner operator, like it's so addictive the rush though. Like the lows are terrible. Like everyone definitely goes through bouts of depression, but the highs then is the reverse of that. So yeah, it, it's it's a drug really. You that's that's the best way of looking. It's addictive. It's oh, so addictive. It's highly addictive. Like you can have absolute shit for a week, and then you have one really awesome moment, and it just like it's like a it's like taking oxy like you just feel amazing and you think you're king of the world like king of your industry whatever it may be and then it's back to normal you know it's so funny when you talk about the holiday thing i think my wife lauren said to me i asked her like what's your major dream for the business in the next couple of years she's like to have a holiday without needing to be involved in anything <laughs> I'm like, oh shit! It's like the <laughs> book the mice of mice and men. It's like something that's never there. You just yeah. can't. Just, just yeah, like we'll get there eventually. There. We'll get there eventually. Um, yeah. So you studied arts, com, uh, finance, and politics major. Graduated in '06. Um, I met you just after you left Go Market. So you would have finished, I think, July 2012. I mean, there's a gap there from '06 to '10. Uh, on LinkedIn, which is always fun to to dig into about what people got up to. But um, I think you started at Pepperstone. So Jan 2013 is the yeah. time I started to go. So we meet, meet each other then. Um, you were at Pepperstone for a year and a bit, head of sales. I'm curious, just being in the industry, what seemed like the golden principles of Joel that you pulled into your own business? Yeah, that's a very open question. Just to go back, I'll go back. My history is actually, it's okay. I didn't hide anything. I've only, when I did my LinkedIn, I just literally did my CFD career when I, whenever yeah. I, and so I worked at, uh, I worked at Goldman Sachs in London and I worked at Adelaide Bank prior to that. So that was my pre-CFD career. Then when I came back from London, I worked at ANZ. So I've been in the derivative space um, so margin lending. So I've really been in that the space for my entire career. So margin yeah. lending to start, um, went to Goldman Sachs in London and that was in uh, middle office in equity derivatives, which was literally hedge funds punting on um, equities, which was incredibly cool learning experience because I had to speak to a really large amount of smart people. Most of the guys that were running the hedge funds then were a three-man team. So you'd speak mm. to the guy who's earning, you know, two or $3 million um, in the role that I had and also the trading desks um, across it, you know, Goldman, obviously our team, but then, you know, SockGen, which was going through issues at the time. Uh, you know, you just spoke to people that were smarter than you, which is a really good situation to be in because you learn a lot um, and also they don't tolerate any um, mistakes. So yeah. you see people around, you get fired for just calling the wrong person <laughs> because, you know, it, it killed their little zone that they were in when they were when they were trading the swaps that they were trading. So, um, I've sort of always been in this. I, I didn't know what CFDs were when I got into the space. I was like almost tricked. I actually thought it was more what I was doing 
um, from a, you know, the role that I was going for was more of what I've been doing at ANZ and, and Goldman. Um, but then I sort of discovered what was going on and unfortunately got good uh, knowledge of what I was doing and, in the, and what I developed beforehand. So I've just sort of got here by chance a lot. Uh, I think a lot of people do, don't they? <laughs> and yeah, you look back at the sliding moments and I remember in London I'd been offered to get sponsored. So I was like, all right, that's great. Uh, that was in 2008, obviously. Wow. You can tell where the story's going to go. Yeah. I actually said to them, no, I don't want to get sponsored. Oh, so I said, yes, I do. But, you know, I've been here for a year. I haven't done any travel. I came to London to do some travel. I'm just going to go for three months. Can I come back and you'll sponsor me after I do a three-month holiday? Like, that's fine. And I was in Bulgaria and then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I think I'll be going back to London. <laughs> Yeah, was, it was well, the trading desk that I was at that spread all the rumors about Lehman Brothers at best end as well. It actually started to run on them because they'd shorted them. So, well, wow. um, yeah, I was like, I had a couple of mates and I was speaking to them back in London and they were all, you know, I went to Oxford, Cambridge, they were all getting let go. I was just like, uh, back with my tail between my legs back to back to Melbourne and luckily got that job at ANZ in, in uh, the like, interest rate derivatives and FX derivatives. Um, you know, it was like going back in time, like using software that we were using in London to using, you know, like 30-year-old technology at ANZ, doing stuff by paper. Um, yeah, it was going back in time. And then, yeah, Go Markets was, yeah, it was a real turning point in my life. Um, yeah, we had like a, a dream team at Go when it started. Like everyone that's there, like if you go back to that sort of period when I was there and then when I sort of came back, you look at the people that have left and it's like, you know, CJ who was there was is up running, you know, Western Union in Queensland. Um, you've got uh, a couple of other guys that have started businesses that have taken off. So, like, they had really good staff. I don't know why they let them all go when I was there. <laughs> they sort of just didn't manage them very well. Um, and the business had issues at different times, um, yeah. you know, up and down. But... You, you got to learn a lot about um, the space um, and, yeah, like I, when it, it moved to Sydney, the business for a little while and, and that's when I left but obviously had good, strong connections with it to when I wanted to start my own business. Um, yeah, obviously Chris and Sawyer, um were there as a starting point to um, get what is 8CAP now um, off the ground. And did you look at any of the things that were done in those businesses and go, I'm definitely going to do that or I'm definitely not going to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I actually learned more from people who were bad managers of me um, <laughs> than I ever learned from anyone that was good. The, the good ones I just liked and the bad ones was like, oh, God, I can never be like this person. Yeah. But, yeah, one of the lessons I learned was not leaving at three o'clock to go down to the pub when everyone else is in the office. Yeah. So, you know, just being there from, you know, nine till six, being, you know, even now, look, I don't have an office to sit with the staff. Like I like being amongst it. I like to lead by example. I don't think I'm a very good manager, but at least I set an example that can be followed in terms effort and execution on that side. I might not be good at helping develop someone's career. I'm, I'm actually terrible at that. Um, I'm very much a sink or swim sort of person um, because I liked that. I like just to be like, all right, go do that, work it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then sort of people I hire that, that I don't have to manage, it's like 
they can work stuff out and we can move on. I don't have to, you know, have a performance review every six months and tell them how their career is going. And yeah. we've hired other people to do that because you really need to do that. But yeah. like, you do that. I don't do performance reviews. I never have. I get someone else to do it. I'll tell people they're doing a good job and, you know, when we're doing stuff, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit there and dot point, you know, and be organised in that respect. I want to, you know, just work on the projects, work on the ideas and celebrate those sort of successes uh, with the work that people do. Yeah, it's good that you recognise that as well because, I like, I see elements of that in my personality that things I'm just not good at like I'm definitely the type would just say like here I need this sorted um do you know how to do it yes no go go do it otherwise I'll just tell you and th- that's how you do it like it I understand some people really need someone sometimes to just lay it out for them what if I told you the way to take your brand to the next level in 2021 is with TikTok ads A lot of our clients come to us with a problem. They need to take their brand to the next level. They're typically doing 5 to 10K a month. They need to jump to that 25, 50K per month level. And Instagram and Facebook just isn't what it was. So what's the commonality amongst all this? It is primarily opportunity in a saturated market. And we think that TikTok ads today is the answer. Now, Neural follows a two-phase process to guide you as a challenger brand on the way to growth. Phase one is all about knowing your brand and niche back to front with a focus on breaking even or getting above a break even. Phase two is scaling that creative to blow up your sales in the process once we've secured you as the leader in that niche on TikTok. You do this with the right partner, a committed partner like Neural, and you'll build that confidence in an area that has typically been saturated in the past. is not a silver bullet and we'd love to chat to you. So book in a consultation with our specialist team. Just go to neural.com slash TikTok. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash TikTok. And we'll chat to you from there. Before we get into the eight cap foundation, so we've got to touch on this whistleblower event, of course. I'm sure you've done it to death a million times. Um, There's been podcasts. uh, We'll link all of the podcasts in the show notes as well so people can go check it out. Yeah, Angus Um, Angus did a super job on the podcast series. Um, Yeah. Great job. Really detailed episodes around what happened. But I remember this. I remember hearing about this when you were at Pepperstone. At the time, I was at... um, Ibis World, which is sort of like a data analytics company, but I remember Chris Gore telling me because I was still hanging out with those guys on and off during that period. But essentially, you're a whistleblower on probably one of the largest insider trading events in Aussie history. It was around $8 million in total. You were head of sales at Pepperstone at the time. You basically noticed some suspicious trading from this guy. And people go, oh, geez, how would he have picked up on that? I mean, as people, as staff working on like the books and and looking at the whole list of clients, you would just pay attention to people who were doing well and see if you could either mimic it. Could you learn stuff from how they were trading? Could you build a relationship with them? So you just be genuinely interested in what people were up to. So anyway, you found this guy, Lucas Camay, started digging, realized he was trading on ABS data, put the dots together, see if he's got any mates in Canberra, work out that this Chris Hill guy existed. You called him and then uh, basically realized he was working on sensitive data and you tipped off um, ASIC. Three months later, 
after them, I think I know what ASIC and AFP were like at that time. They, they were pretty heavy handed on this industry and they were looking pretty deeply into this sort of stuff. So I read at some point they had like maybe 80 officers working on it. Um, but yeah, they basically realized that these guys were insider trading on Aussie dollar trades essentially. And um, yeah, they, they found this, this scheme, I guess you could call it. And the thing that still blows my mind is that for all your troubles, they let you go at Pepperstone and we'll get into that in a moment. So probably not, probably, <laughs> probably not too deeply, but looking at that period, what was the biggest insight you pulled from that time that you, that you put into action first thing at eight cap? Was there anything around risk management or anything like that, that you really learnt? Not really, actually. Um, economic news is obviously a sensitive time. So um, what what the issues you have with it is that everything's about load time in, in this industry because it Yeah. So what the, the issue is for most brokers is that sometimes if, you, if, if you've got a, an event that everyone wants to trade, you know, you don't actually set your servers up to handle the load that you're about to have on a news event. So non-farm payrolls, interest rates or releases, you, it gets everyone trading all at the same time. So there's always an issue with your price feed actually slowing down um, to what your actual price feed should be showing. And then there's people out there arbitraging this all the time and have been for 10 years. So yeah. they do it, like a lot of people do it or have been doing it, they hack you. So they'll they'll sign up multiple accounts and they'll try and slow your server down. Um, the thing is, is, you know, if you're hedging it through, um, they will, they will take the trade, but then they'll reverse it. So you're left holding the can. So you have to, if people are taking advantage of the software. So they're not taking advantage of the market. They're taking advantage of the software is you have to protect your business from it. Cause there is literally no way to mitigate it. You can't hedge it. You can't internalize it. You can't do anything with toxic news flow. So every broker around the world whatever industry they're in is trying to not trying to make sure their technology is up to scratch. Um, so that's actually, sorry, I did. That's the lesson I learned actually when I was. Yeah. I was going to say that, that is a, that is a lesson. Sorry. That is, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a lesson so much. It was actually a competitive advantage. So the Pepperstone guys, you know, when they started out, they were very frugal. They just didn't spend as much money at the time on, on certain things they could. Um, so I probably realized I was going to leave Pepperstone and an eight cap or what became eight cap was going to happen was um, around Christmas time. So we had about a dozen staff in Melbourne, um, a couple in China, uh, sorry, about the same number in China um, and a couple of guys in Dallas. And I remember um, and Joe Davenport asked me, you know, you know, you've worked different industries. What sort of bonus should we give to the guys? And I was like, oh, look, all the ops start, you know, all the sales staff obviously get remunerated by commissions and that side. So that's fine. I was like, Oh, definitely. Like 10, 10% bonus is, is standard and everyone's doing a cracking job. So do 10%. And I think, you know, it's a nice touch, you know, get everyone a bottle of champagne um, for Chris, you know, something they can take home. So I've got something physical, obviously money just goes into your account. So you can't really, you know, it's good to sort of come back to your wife or your girlfriend, your family and go, look at, you know, this. And, and, and they also gave me that. And then in the end, um, the guys, I think they paid a bonus of, of about somewhere between fifteen hundred and two grand, and got a bottle of Chandon for everyone, and that was off the back of making a twenty-seven million dollar profit. So that's when I knew I had to leave Pepperstone. <laughs> wow, I can't believe they just did that. I've yeah. still got that bottle of Chandon. I've kept it. 
the whole wow. time. Wow. That, that's definitely like an industry thing where you look and you go, fuck, why did they do that? That's just a thing that happens and you just wonder like, why is that when a business grows that much? But yeah, yeah, so-, so many businesses, people rock up in a Ferrari and then do the same thing. It's like, oh, we don't have any money. Yeah. Okay. It's so funny. I was reading a book about that in agency land. He's like, this guy, and it's called the business of expertise. He's like, one of the worst things you can do is like lay off staff and still be driving to work in like a Ferrari or something like that. It's just not, it's not realistic, if that makes sense. Okay. So you, you probably won't want to comment too much on this component. But like I said, the thing that baffled me most, I remember because we knew each other then, I was just like, wow, Joel got let go now obviously you're not going to say why in particular but you know the official line from owen kerr was global fx market volatility yada 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 i don't think that the uh swiss trade event uh the chf euro event had happened then i feel like that was like 2016 yeah, that was afterwards okay. yeah so I, I was just thinking bur- the market was still booming yeah the market was booming um I mean, I don't believe Owen Kerr, so call me biased, but obviously you had intended to move on. It was in in the back of your mind. Was the split amicable? Were you just like, okay, that's that's fine. Like, may as well. Can't really comment, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I might come in the future when I have more money and I can afford to be sued. Sued, yeah. So I, I will probably comment in a couple of years' time on what fully occurred and through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I got some advice on it recently. They're like don't don't do it. Well, look, I'll I'll say as a commentator like you're in big trouble. So yeah. I'll say big trouble, but it's just you're gonna be in court. So um, the, op- the optics on it weren't good, is all yeah, I'll say. But I mean it's pretty obvious. I started my own business and you know, had an issue over a bonus and you know, a bonus probably would have helped with the business and we settled the matter, you know, before yeah. it was court. So I mean you can read into it of what you think happened, um, you know, it's probably all pretty obvious to anyone watching the podcast. So, um, yeah. you know, which is, yeah, like it's probably for other, like looking at other people, like that's what probably yet again another lesson, not that I'm disclosing what happened there, is that, you know, with the, our really good staff, we're sort of including them in the business in, in ownership and projects and supporting them on, on the ideas that they've had. So that's probably another you know, sort of indirect lesson that I learned over my career, not not at Pepperstone, at all the places that I worked at, is to support your staff. Um, yeah, it's not yeah. it's not an abnormal thing to see in the industry. There, no, there's a certain it's, stuff that it, it's definitely happened. I think you know, Joe was pushed out of Go Markets before he started Pepperstone, and it's happened to other people. So yeah, you know, I think probably the, the only thing that I yet again I can't say too much, but I I, I like the fact that with the podcast that people actually know what happened now. Mm. you know my involvement in it which probably was i didn't want to get any fame for it but i was sort of frustrated that you know i did a lot of work and then it was sort of you know my name was never really mentioned so it's you don't do it for the the you know like for the some sort of 15 minutes of fame but it was more like the fact that it was like uh well someone else did all the work that you did and you know you uh you didn't do anything whereas i think that was obviously handy with what Angus produced, you could see actually what occurred. It wasn't just PR coming out of the out of AFP, ASIC, Pepstone of, you know, little sound bites from the trial of this is exactly how it was all put together. And I think that's what made it so interesting that mm. it was 
the true story of what occurred rather than, you know, five or six articles that came out that were, you know, written quickly. And, and, and that's what this whole podcast world sort of is. You want to know what actually occurred rather than reading, you know, a thousand words on something. People really want in-depth analysis on topics and events. And, and yeah, surprised at the success of this. Like you know, I wasn't big into like listening to podcasts. I only live about 10, 12 minutes by train to get home. So I don't really have that time to like that train time to really listen to them, um, which I'm probably doing more so now and just realising that you can listen to 10 minutes every day rather yeah. than finish something, which is I always like finishing something. I hate yeah. know, pausing. So that's something I've just grown up and I just deal with now. I can tell you're a bit OCD like I am, but um, yeah, you want to pick up the nuance in the conversation. I guess I'm intrigued, like, because I, you know, being in the industry, um, you have the experience of stumbling upon trading groups like this. Like you said, you would get often get groups who are basically pinging the server and slowing the server down to arbitrage opportunities. So in various ways, being in the industry, you would see events like this, particularly back then with, a lot of things seemed analog, like the way the people used to measure exposure when I first got into the industry was via spreadsheets. Now it's all software. The majority of majority of leading businesses use software. Like a good example is um, Tapas. Like they're a really, really good business offering essentially risk management software. What was that process like? Because, you know, it's very different to, with Oztrack, you get a, an SMR for someone who you think is potentially money laundering. But what do you do in that scenario with, like, is it the responsible manager? They've got to raise something with ASIC. What was that process? There wasn't like? really. There wasn't. There probably was some sort of process, but because it hadn't happened before inside of trading in the uh, FX derivative side, it's obviously happened in the equity derivative side. And I yeah. Market CMC IG have all been involved in insider trading cases um, where people have, have, have traded stocks, you know, with insider knowledge. So, yeah, as I said, ASIC have no idea it could happen. Part of what I did, the, the work that I did, I was really educating ASIC um, and a, the AFP of how the product worked, what the people were doing. So they had no idea um, about trading derivatives, you know, even ASIC's knowledge of the industry was pretty poor back then, um, you know, they, you know, they pretty much issued licenses back then around the, my Pepperstone days, you know, like to anyone, you know, you could get them in three months. And that was the issue with the industry over time is you got people from Israel, from Russia, you know, coming in, setting up businesses, um, you know, which is FXCT, AGM, all these guys that end up um, doing bad things was all because ASIC was asleep at the wheel. So they didn't have an understanding of the industry um, and then let in people that did the wrong thing. And then the people that did the wrong thing, they took years and years to catch them. So you know, I remember tipping them off about FXCT and they're like, oh, you know, we can't call them up because it can be entrapment and we might struggle because it's like, you know, there's always a reason why they can't do stuff. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just... They're just slow moving and then it's like this industry is so bad. It's like, well, these are the people you let in from another country that don't really give a toss of what happens here. They've got a few pretend, you know, directors on the ground that, you know, they're all controlled by overseas and that's that's really been the annoyance of this industry, especially AGM markets. Like I actually tipped ASIC off about that one, um, although that's been made public until now. Um, but, you know, they just took ages to, to, you know, it took them like nine months to catch them. Yeah. 
And then it affects the local industry when you get things like product intervention powers and all this sort of um, regulation, which can be good, obviously, but um, it imposes a lot of the costs on good operators in the business, which is frustrating. Yeah, they went a bit overboard. Like the leverage restrictions were, you know, a little bit too harsh. They were a bit harsh in Europe as well. Like Europe's got a clearly defined professional classification, which we don't have here. So yeah, that percentage of the market that knows what they're doing can get access to the product. So yeah, it's just the frustration is, is like, and especially in the cryptocurrency space now, is people are accustomed to trading overseas. So yeah, realistically, 8Cap could close its asset license now and we could still get all of our Australian clients trading offshore because the Australian clients don't really care now about regulation yeah. as much. Obviously, regulation is very handy because you need the banking and the services and everything else. So no one's going to give it up and exit, but, you know, which is probably the lesson that Binance has right now. Um, but they've <laughs> their business to be, you know, a 20 or $30 billion business without regulation. Now regulation is strangling them because they need it yeah. into the markets. But the guys already got a lot of money. So, yeah, you know, horses bolted. Um, and that's the change that ASIC probably doesn't realise now is they can put regulation in and Europe and the UK and everyone just goes, okay, we're just, oh, I'm happily trading with IG Markets Bermuda with the same conditions that RG Markets has in Australia because of their trusted brand. I know them. So what do I care about? Yeah, you're so right about that. It's It, it loses the industry to overseas. Yeah, which is terrible for tax for Australia because I'd rather oh, yeah. pay my tax in seashells or Bahamas, which is nothing, yeah. than pay 30% here. So now, I've said this for a while in the crypto industry being still involved in it. Like it's They need licensing and they need to be more ahead but uh, now after hearing you say what they said about licensing back in 2013 it makes me realize okay they're, they're gonna it's gonna be five years until there's ever a license for crypto in this space like they're, they're so behind so okay that's yeah really- and you know that we you know we we've we're in that space not you know not in the same way that, that you're doing obviously um, we've got a little offering that we've launched recently that's pretty cool that hopefully you read a couple of the press releases in the market. The industry needs regulation here because then that gives the cryptocurrency firms access to banking and services that then people can trust. So yeah, it definitely helps, but does ASIC be draconian and go, all right, all the exchanges need $10 million in capital because none of them have it. So, you yeah. know what I mean? Like what they do in the stock space, you need five or $10 million to be clearer through the ASX. So um, who knows what they'll do? Like, so with our industry, they almost sort of said, all right, we'll just, we don't care if people trade offshore. You know what I mean? They just, they put in things where people can, you can offer them here, but, you know, there's probably just as many people in Australia that have a CFD account offshore. And that's the same with cryptos. It's just as many people have a crypto account here or they're trading with FTX or Binance or some other offshore regulated entity. So there's an opportunity for ASIC to create something here because banking is the main issue for the crypto space. So if they do regulate it, um, you know, it brings in the ability to get insurance um, across the board for PI, for directors and officers. Um, you could legislate that the banks have to deal with them so that they can't block them out. So there's a huge advantage if Australia does move in regulation um, for the crypto space. Um, yeah, and it'd be great if uh, they did move, but judging by everything else that ASIC's done, it's, they wait to see what the FCA does. 
and then copy it and smudge it around. Just do that, bit. yeah. Do it two or three years later. So the FCA's got those temporary licenses in the moment. Maybe ASIC will come with those in 24 months' time. And then maybe, yeah, as you said, five years is probably realistic um, right now. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Well, well, the UK is definitely like uh, the FCA, which is the UK's version of ASIC in a way, a um, little bit different in terms of its um, remit, but. Yeah, I, I think they're the preeminent body globally when it comes to uh, regulation. So how many businesses are within the 8CAP brand? There, there's a few, but I think you mentioned that there's 110-plus staff or there's more than that now? Somewhere between 160 and 170. I don't yeah. know the exact number, depending on who's going and coming. So you've got London, Cyprus, Melbourne offices. There's been these product intervention powers we know about. We spoke about that. The main group that's affected is retail investors. It doesn't affect professional investors too much at all. Yeah, that they have to go through some hurdles, which... Yeah, some more compliance hurdles, so to speak. Obviously, crypto is a major driver for FX businesses today. Um, it's really interesting. I've, I've dived deep into this, what they're sort of starting to call MoFi, modern finance, but you get like DeFi and crypto and NFTs and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, what for you personally, what's in store for you? What do you want over the next five uh, years? For me, it's the projects we're working on. So um, obviously going to do a bit of plugging because it's a podcast. So, <laughs> that. Um, so we launched 250 cryptocurrency CFDs in the last week, okay. um, which is the largest regulated offering in the world. So we're proud to say I'm a market leader in something that no one else is doing. Well, they are doing, but if they're doing it, it's they're doing it very poorly. Um, so, yeah, we just there's a, there was a gap and we've been working on it for the last nine months. Um, Chris Hill, who I hired, who was one of the guys that um, involved in Inside Trading Case, um, has been working on it as well. Ironically, he's you know, big into cryptos and he's been an integral part of it. Um, Marcus Featherston, who used to work at Pepperstone, which, you know, it's a lot of ex-Pepperstone guys and go markets guys that work here just because we, we've got a lot of our people we like in the industry worked on this project. We've got a pricing engine we've put together with a group of different exchanges. So for us, it's, you know, we look at, you know, so eToro, um, yeah. their spreads are 3,500% higher than ours. So <laughs> a little bit of a gap if you're trading with eToro. And, and then if you look at BitMEX, you know, they, they can charge up to, you know, 300% on swaps for a year. So, you know, ours are 5%. So we've just seen this market that's sitting there at the moment that's sort of like the CFD market was 10 years ago, really high spreads, people getting into the market. They don't really know what they're doing as yet. So they're unaware of the costs of trading. So our Bitcoin spread is $12. Mm. eToros is 335 Yeah. IG is like 200, capital comms 150, and all of their spread, their swap costs or interest costs, if you're holding a position, at 20%, 30%, 40%, 100%. So there's this just market of, of, of people that they're going after with really simple trading platforms that confuse the product between is this a cryptocurrency or is this a CFD? And so we're sort of, we want to wedge ourselves in the middle and go, all right, if you're trading with Binance, obviously they're closing down their derivative product because the banks have told them they have to, otherwise they, they can't do deposits and withdrawals without having a license. So we're sort of pushing into that middle ground to go, look, you can trade with us on an MT4, MT5. We've got TradeView coming as well in about a month's time um, to have a cheap product that doesn't have huge costs. 
Um, for Australia, obviously, it's two to one leverage. So the leverage isn't high. It's 20 to one for professional clients, which, you know, classification that, that a number of clients can get into. So you can hedge your positions without having to stake it with an offshore provider. And if the market drops 60%, and you're only getting 10% interest on staking it. It's a little bit easy to hedge it at a $12 cost and a 5% interest rate um, for a 12-month period. If you were worried about volatility, which, you know, most of the crypto exchanges had a little bit of a wobble in the first sort of six months of this year as, you know, the product went sideways for a little bit. And, and that's going to happen more and more. It's it's not just going to be a mountain 45-degree angle. Um, products are going to come and go. Regulation's going to change the product. Um, so, yeah, we're hoping that as a really truly price competitive offering that we can push into this space and you know the next biggest player in australia is say eToro and they have you know the equivalent of 30 cryptocurrencies so they're yeah 50 you know, 30 times the cost and uh they have a smaller offering so we've done something that um as i said no one else has done in that space um it differs a little bit from ftx and and Binance, because we're not charging hourly rates, it's only a daily rate. So if you're in and out within a few hours, um, yet again, you're saving a heap because you're not paying any interest costs where a um, derivative on one of the um, overseas or offshore exchanges is the, the, the costs are clicking in hourly. Um, so yeah, as a product, we think the CFD or the, the derivative product through an MT4, MT5, TradeView broker is a niche that we can build a, a large audience. And yeah, our account numbers are obviously reflecting that like we, we're getting a large amount come in from Australia and overseas. So it almost seems like um, product development is like the key thing that interests you. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. So with with ACAP and the crypto offering, who what jurisdictions can you onboard? Is it all the usual? Um, Everything except for FCA. So unfortunately, because, uh, okay. because yeah. of all the shit that eToro and Capital.com and all these guys did in Europe, they banned retail uh, CFDs for for crypto, it'll get overturned. You know, like they'll, they'll wind it back. But because of what, you know, those guys did in the market, like pretend that they were crypto exchanges and charge high fees and, you know, build a big audience. You know, if, I think eToro said the other day they made $200 million in revenue in the quarter. From, most of it was from crypto revenue. You know, if, if that was eight cap, it would only be, you know, $10 million. So you can see the fat that's in there and they still lost 20 million. So God, they spend so much money on advertising. It's amazing. Wow. So with these sort of products, what, what ends up becoming the underlying, do you guys use derivative products you get from um, IBKR or are you wrapping and creating it yourself and hedging out with physical spot crypto? Both. Both. Okay. So cool. we've got, uh, as I said, we've developed a pricing engine internally. Um, we're connected to futures as well as physical. Um, so we can, you know, we can manage the risk easily if the market's just going straight up. So there's no, so no, it's, there's no risk for us. It's no different to being a digital currency exchange. It is, but we're not, we're not, we don't want to be a, um, you're just not offering the physical component. Yeah, we think so. We're sort of, I think everyone and, and the company you, you work for probably has those dreams. We think specialization is, is probably a bit better. Like, I think if you try and do everything, you're normally not good at any of it because yeah. you do too much. So, you know, like, say, like IG markets in our industry, they've got the most products. None of the trading conditions are that good. But if you want to trade some wheat future, 
go to IG. Like, they've got it. So yeah. that, that's their competitive advantage is we've got stocks, physical, we've got all these CFDs, but, you know, trade on a couple of pip spreads on FX. Like, you're not, you know, you're not going to do it. So we want to be, uh, the, you know, the home of derivatives regulated for crypto trading. We still obviously have a large market of other, you know, we've got single stock CFDs for Europe, US, Australia. So we just, we just want to be a derivatives broker and that's it. And we've got lots of partnerships we're working on um, and we want to just be the best at it um, rather than, you know, there's other CFD brokers that are trying to be stockbrokers. You know, there are other ones trying to add crypto exchanges on and they, they're all so different. In Very different operations. Work you have to do. Yeah. You know, crypto exchanges need a massive client's. Um, that's greater than the other two. You know, I don't know if CoinJar's got a phone number, but every other crypto broker in Australia doesn't have a phone number because they can't afford to. They can't have the, afford to have the staff to answer the phone because of the margins in the business. So it's all done via live chat and, you know, social um, communication. You know, stock clients tend to be then a different age profile depending on what they are. Um, do they want to hint? Do they want to trade in custody? So the, all, the, all the entities are trying to put them together there is synergies, but there isn't synergies. There's just a lot of costs. So we're hoping that if we can have, you know, like a profound offering in our space is you'll come to us. And, and I think that's what's happening. You, you see crypto traders, they trade on TradeView and then they go execute somewhere else. Most crypto brokers don't really have good charting or they just have trading view for charting. So you are using other services and then you're executing in a different spot. So if where someone's sitting there on their phone and they're trading with us on MT5 and then they're going back to their trade view charts to have all the stocks, to crypto or CFDs, then then that's fine. And that's a lot of what uh, the guys that we've partnered with on another project that we're working on um, do anyway. So, you know, you see the experts have their, what they want for charting and charting is separate from execution. So, you know, why should we try to even build the best charting platform when there's, there's other really good ones out there is just do what you do best, work closely with those companies rather than trying to be a bloated, you know, Citibank style, you know, do everything and anything and yeah, yeah. Fall, under, fall under your own weight because no one, you know, the left hand can't talk to the right hand and, you know, and that, that's sort of sort of where you see the market going. There'll be guys that come in and do everything because private equity will give them shit tons of money to have a go at it. But uh, we just still think specialisation is key and still even the biggest companies in the world are pretty specialized. So do you think then um, for you guys as a business, because of the increased focus on specializing in your certain area, the marketing becomes less about telling people about what you're doing and more about the product development? Well, that that's the hope is that the client goes on a journey with you. So it's not just what you have now, it's what you're working on. And I think a lot of companies out there that we see in the, um, let's say, like the additional like software space, so they're not a broker or they're a software space, you know, they're getting beta releases out. They're getting their clients to get involved with what they're working on. Um, and people like being an insider, you know, like knowing what's going on. So that style of, of marketing, you know, I, I think works really well. Of, of letting people on the inside and seeing what's going on and getting their opinion. Um, yeah. and, and it's like that crowd-based, you know, knowledge that then you get back in. Like um, community almost. 
Exactly. And that's what everyone's trying to build within their product because that community might not be something that's on a Discord channel. It's still, there's still the sort of people they're going to tell all their friends and, and, and friend referrals in all products is still, you know, 20, 30% of how everything occurs. So, you know, if you can focus on specialization, doing something really well, people will tell others because everyone likes to brag about having knowledge that someone else doesn't have. So uh, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a mobile phone, whether it's a podcast. Yeah. Do, so I, I've been listening a lot to a podcast. I think it's called Modern Finance. It's with Kevin Rose. Um, let me double check this because I know Jacob will come in and put in the show notes. Yeah, Modern Finance, Kevin Rose, really interesting because it sort of covers all this DeFi, um, NFT space, like really a lot of NFT stuff. For me, being in the sort of entertainment marketing realm, things like Rally and NFTs have been uh, they have real application and we're starting to look deeply at that for creators that we have on our roster. You're obviously more than dabbling in this world. We're both looking at crypto, so to speak. We've got this Cambrian explosion of DeFi. A lot of people are starting to call traditional finance businesses TradFi, which I find absolutely bloody hilarious. What for you personally most excites you in this space? Just It doesn't have to be anything to do with 8Cap, but... You know, like, have you dabbled in NFTs? Have you dabbled with DeFi? Like, are you on these Discord channels just looking at it going, what the hell is this stuff? Is there anything uh, for you personally that fascinates you? Uh, yeah, it does because I'm, I'm still, like we're talking about with our parents, I still have that tunnel vision. So most of it I don't actually believe in, but <laughs> I have an open mind to all of it. So yeah. I thought that Afterpay would get shut down. Really? really? Yeah, I thought a couple of years ago, like, geez, are they really going to let kids just borrow money like this? This product is just, wow. It's like they're like the slumlords borrowing. Like, let's get the people with the least amount of money <laughs> and give them debt. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and lots of it. And lots of it and make <laughs> some money out of it. But because it's such a big industry, the regulator's like, oh, you know, let's just let it go because, you know, it's, we've got so many good ones here. Yeah. Keep it going. So, you know, I've got it wrong so many times on having an opinion on things that it's like, all right, well, you know, we we've got a diverse group of people here, and if there's a market for it, we'll we'll look at what we're doing, and and that's what I think I approached you. Um, how long ago was it about started this year? Yeah. So yeah, we were, that. We're, we're picking your brain because we we're launching a couple of products. Um, we've got a podcast series that's. Not as not as well attended as yours as yet. I think we had a hundred thousand views on on one of our shows the other night, which was good. Mm. Um, but that was what we looked at. We were looking at things. What aren't people doing? So there's all these experts out there that talk on TV um, about what happened in the past. You know, there's always you know something happens and they interview someone from Comsec or you know wherever, and they're like, oh yeah yeah yeah, you know, Guatemala had. Bitcoin as a currency and blah, 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 blah. And that's why I went down. And everyone just repeats the same crap at nauseum about what probably happened. Um, but they don't really know. They're just really regurgitating a lot of stuff. Yeah, that was El Salvador, wasn't it? What a country. Like, yeah. just, was it El Salvador? It was El Salvador, yeah. Guatemala's only like you know, <laughs> a couple of countries above. Yeah. Uh, we've got an office there. That's why I was in my head, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's our South American office. So um, hello to the 15 staff that we have there. I can't wait to get post-COVID because uh, cool country. It would be nice. Uh, 
it would be lovely. Um, so getting back to the other side um, is, yeah, like we launched a podcast series called The Trading Battle. It's live trading. So we get experts on to trade against each other to show us how they use their strategies. Um, so there is no, you know, recorded video of how they did it. And it's always, you see all these videos online where people show something that happened three months ago and they go, well, this is where I went long and, you know, this is how smart I am and that's my Ferrari and that's my Lamborghini and yeah. this is my watch. So Sign up to my course. Sign up to my course. So, but at the same time, there is lots of experts out there that do know how to trade. So we're going after that market. Um, we've got uh, Nick Leeson, uh, if you know the name, coming on to host one of the battles in a couple of weeks, who's the, uh, well, we don't know if he can trade. I mean, Bearings Bank was a little bit of an issue. If anyone's seen Rogue Trader from about 20 years ago, with Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Um, but we're getting people on that do know how to trade, trading against each other. So that's sort of how we looked at flipping it on its head is let's get the best people to trade against each other. And I was, we were pitching it to you and you're like, hmm, it's actually a good idea. Yeah, it is We're good. surprised no one was doing it. Um, so at the moment it's, it's an FX related, but we've got a crypto show, a US equity show and an Aussie show about to launch. So yet again, just simple stuff that you knew about, you know, what software to use, you know, <laughs> of what, you know, getting cameras, you know, sound. So we went through that learning curve for the first few months and a lot of the shows were pretty rubbish. Um, but then now we've got it down pat. So it's a clean, crisp production. Now it's just about getting guests on the show. I'll probably move to a studio um, so that we can actually, post-COVID, we'd actually like the traders in the room together, you know, yeah. like a massive big screen behind them that they're trading on like a weather screen and people can actually touch and feel. Um, so, yeah, we hope to get that part of the show running in a couple of months' time. But th- we think that they're the sort of products that, you know, it's not just FX. It gives us the access to crypto, to equities, to other products. So, like... Eight cap specializes in this, but we want to have some other companies that specialize in other areas, but interrelate to a degree. So, you know, we can have a relationship with a coin jar through the trading battle, but also we've got another relationship with eight cap or a relationship with self wealth in the stock space. So you're still getting different brands, you know, getting into different areas um, and using that as a competitive advantage because no one else has that series that, you know, we're involved with at the trading battle. So, it distinguishes us from every other CFD provider, but also, you know, gets other people from the equity space and the crypto space to know who we are because we've got that cross-pollination of, of experts in each of these fields um, trading each other. We've got some ideas, you know, like Royal Rumbles and, you know. Yeah, that, that stuff's fun. It makes the, the space interesting. And it's fun for our staff because it's not, you know, you know, it's a, a project that's spun off with a different group. We've got that involvement from 8CAP side. Um, there's another project that one of your old mates, Rom, from, um, from yeah. working on. So that one's more about, you know, financial influences and, and some trading software that we've built. Um, yet again, just something I'm involved in separately. But, you know, the staff that we have here at 8CAP, we sort of view as a nucleus for lots of different projects. Um, you know, 8CAP is just one of them. Um, you know, there's another project that one of the guys that I hired from, uh, into F004 has built this software that I invested in and I'm doing some work with. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked with Rupert Hadlow before. No, uh, but the name rings a bell. He, he did a lot of work sponsorship with Eviden and, and that space of the industry. So that's probably where you might have heard from there. But he worked across Advantage 
a long time ago. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so he started a a, a a platform called Advert Trader where you sort of the last minute.com of advertising. So you can, you know, put your oh, yeah, words in and yeah, it's like it's just launching now. It's like a really cool startup that it's right at the start of the journey. So yeah, anything that I think I'm involved in another PSP company called PSP Box. So anything, because what you find is with these companies and, and what you're running now at URL is you learn tech, legal, accounting. It's just the product at the end and you can get that product and then get another product in front of the rest of the machine. So yeah. if, you, if you understand the machine and how that works, you can be part of any business that's going. You don't really have to understand it too well because the, what you bring in is, well, I know how I can we can put together the rest of this stuff. Like I can help someone build software but not understand what the software does. Yeah. Um, be excited by what they're trying to do. Like I don't really have to know too much. At, at the moment, the only projects I'm getting involved in are the ones that I can understand because I'm a simple person and I want to be able to touch the field. In the future, we'll just we'll do projects that I have no idea about, but we know the you know the rest of the um, the entities and how it works. Nice. Well, look, I feel like we could talk about this stuff for ages, but I'm wary of time, and I want to touch on some uh, rapid fire questions to finish things off. So. Tell me, what is your morning and evening routine? I'm not a morning person. That yeah, so. Knows. Um, probably see if my eyes even coming to the office at 9.30 was, was a bit of a shock. So uh, morning routine is snooze for at least an hour every 10 minutes. Okay. And then quickly shower. Like I get ready in under 10 minutes and then I'm gone. So I'm happy to get an extra five minutes sleep. This is the first time I think I've done my hair in like, six months, you know, like just get ready quickly. And what about at night? What are you typically doing at night? Uh, have a couple of dogs, a couple of pugs, black okay. one, ones. So I used to do a lot of work calls um, when I did the dog walk, but then I was told need to be just chilled at night. So to make sure you get a good night's sleep. So I'll always go for a walk for like 45 minutes every night. And that's where I just sort of zone out and try and stop thinking about everything okay and are you watching anything at the moment is there any series shows you've been following along with yeah there has been i i was i've just finished off godfather of harlem it's not very okay. good but it's got a lot of good actors in it it's it, it was good because i just got back from london uh, and cyprus where we've got a sisec and fca license so i had to do hotel quarantine for two weeks so oh wow I was watching, reading, and playing games in my spare time with if I wasn't working. So lucky I could work because otherwise it would just be the most boring time. Yeah, you would have gone insane. How, how can I ask? How was Cyprus? Uh, beautiful. Yeah, like, I hadn't. I'd only been once before, so Iron Apple was a bit of an eye opener. Yeah. Uh, so when so we've got an office in Limassol, so been there before, but just it's a beautiful country. It's way too hot. Yeah, it's um, very hot. 40 degrees every day but other than that like once it gets to like six o'clock and at night it's just perfect yeah best time of year is probably like august um maybe september to go it's not as touristy it's not as hot we were meant to be going on a honeymoon there and um parts of europe but <laughs> obviously that's not <laughs> that's not happened at all um all right last question for you best purchase under 200 dollars I'll, I'll even go lower $10. Okay. Um, I still have both of them. I think I bought them both when I moved out. Um, I've got a dirty clothes basket 
Okay. And a, uh, and a, a um a clothes horse that I bought from a two dollar store. So I think it was only four dollars. <laughs> and I would have bought them when I was like twenty one, and I still have both of them. And I use wow. every day. I use a dirty clothes basket every day. That's there you go. I kept the whole way through. So four dollars. It's so funny. I've got something similar. Like I've had it ever since I moved out of home. I've had it for years now. Because you don't even, you don't really think about little stuff like that. And you take it with you every time you move. Like from when yeah. I was a student all the way to through now with kids. It's like that's the best investment part. ever. Yeah. Um, Joel Murphy, thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I have LinkedIn. Yeah, because uh, I'm old, and uh, I do have Facebook, which I don't really use. So, uh, if you want to ever get in touch with me, uh, LinkedIn's the place to get get me on. LinkedIn, we'll make sure we link all of that and everything uh, in the show notes today. But um, Joel, thanks for coming on the show. Cheers, cheers, Jordan. Really appreciate it, mate. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you liked it, do subscribe and, of course, like it on YouTube if you're watching as well. We'd really appreciate that. For audio, if you've not already listening on your podcast app, you can search for it on any good app, including Spotify, Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. For video, if you're not watching, you can search Uncommon Podcasts on YouTube. It's the first one that appears every single time. But behind the scenes, do follow us on Instagram and TikTok. It's at uncommon underscore show. But until next time, thanks for tuning in. Oh,